Hello, Greyhound. This is Trap One. Do you read me? Over. Thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Beth. I'm Sam. So, can you hear me? If you can't, you should turn up the volume on your phone or iPad, because on this instalment, we're talking about Series 12, Episode 7. Uh, but first of all, uh, what have you been your highlights of Series 12 so far, uh, Beth? Oh, 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 my gosh, there's so many. Um, highlights of Series 12, Fugitive. Yes. God, that was insane. Um, Orphan 55, even though nobody else on the planet will agree with me. I loved it. I love that story so loved much. Loved it. Um, and what else I think Yaz's storyline I'm really loving that as well mm-hmm. I really like what they've done with it and can you hear me definitely yeah um, I really didn't like the, the opening to Parther but after that basically every episode I've really loved um, my favourite probably uh, has been Praxis which I thought it was really underrated because yeah. I love just it was just a really really good script and just wonderful direction and the way it sort of like in like a sort of subtle way it did kind of didn't kind of like hit you over the head with it. I it's like a pretty deep script the way it was talking about homosexuality and sort of like anxieties about masculinity and how that sort of like ties into general sort of like world we're living in and stuff like globalization and climate anxiety which are themes that also come up a lot in can you hear me so it's been a very coherent season i think like in a way that new who usually doesn't really do and i'm i'm into it i think it's really interesting yeah and i think those themes of, of connections between people um is, is a real strong theme in this series as well and, and obviously carries through into can you hear me Uh, with the uh, you know the relationships that uh, that that you see with with Yaz and her sister, um, with Ryan and his best friend, uh, and then Graham and his friends. Um, oh, I love talk. Graham's friends. They're so cute. And um, someone told me the other day that it's the same bus driver guy that was in the woman who fell to earth. Oh, so one yeah. Of the guys at the table was the same bus driver, and I thought that was nice continuity considering in the Moffat era, Clara had like two different dads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think Yaz's um, really uh, like supervisor is the same one as from the woman who fell to earth as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think they've been really good at being consistent with that stuff. Yeah, and for such a small part as well, it's great that those actors come back. I think. Um, uh, so yeah, like you say, it's something we haven't had that much of in the past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Or like you know, there was also the case of uh, Amy's mysteriously disappearing parents, which mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I dearly love the Moffat era. It's my favorite era of Doctor Who, but also yeah, it's it, it, it's flawed. <laughs> It's really odd. I wonder why they do they 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 had that and and have and why they had Clara have two different dads and all of those things. Just so odd to me. 
Yeah, I, I think it's also a question that, um, of sort of production constraints and yeah. from what I'm from what I'm gathering, sort of like the feel you get from a lot of episodes, especially like the arc episodes, series six, series seven. I think they, 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 they like sort of rewrote a lot of stuff and maybe had like a lot of last minute changes and like sort of production issues and. You can see that, like, when um, Brian Minchin comes in in, like, Series 8 and Peter Capaldi, it gets, like, a lot tighter in terms yeah. of, like, sort of, like, story construction. And I think, like, like the way it's happening with, like, Chris Chibnall right now, they're also, like, in a pretty, like, comfortable space where they have, like, good track of continuity and stuff, and it's all pretty smooth. Um, it's way smoother this year than it was last year, I think. Definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. I think possibly the thing there, like even just something as mundane as actor availability for Clara's dad, but the way that you're sort of conditioned to watch the Moffat era, um, everything feels like it might be significant or a clue or, or have a deeper meaning. Yeah. Um, and then it's, yeah. It, it is just some, because uh, the classic example is the thing about the, why, is, why does the duck pond not have any ducks, isn't it? Um, yeah. That, that it felt like it was something that was going to be explained and never was, but I think it was something quite, um, prosaic in the end, wasn't it? But that was the reason behind it. Um, or so yeah. I think Steve Moffat said. Yeah, they actually, yeah, they actually filmed uh, like a scene, like in the last, like in the like um, the Big Bang, where there was supposed to be like a shot of the a pond of with ducks to show that they were like swallowed by a rift or something, yeah. and they just like didn't like when like it came to the shooting, they just didn't get a shot. So you have like a setup and the way out, which yeah. Yeah, it happens. I suspected foul play. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so we get um, the, uh, the the alien race in this story. I thought it was quite interesting. It's like um, the first time this Doctor's faced a, a, a godlike being. Kind of a, a rite of passage for a doctor, almost like the tenth doctor had the beast, and the eleventh doctor oh, yeah. had the, the Akatan son. Uh, and then going back, you know, previously you've got sort of Sutek and um, Azal and, and, and kind of beings like that. So, uh, does Capaldi get a, a, a good like kind of story? Suddenly, I can't remember any doctor. <laughs> um, I can't think of one. Oh my gosh, I don't know. But interesting that you say that because, like, the God thing and, you know, all of that was really exciting and felt really big. And I kind of really hadn't thought about Akaten and and um, the Satan stuff as on a similar level, but it is. It's a, like, really interesting point that you made about that. Um, I think that they make Doctor Who feel like those characters in particular make it feel the stakes much higher and make it feel like more universal. Like that there's a whole universe of like crazy gods and monsters and things that are out there to, you know, the same position as having been um, imprisoned, um, like, like Sutek and the beast and, um, and, and these, these characters, um, it's like the imprisoned God, isn't it? And, and I guess Akitan's the same one, isn't it? Where they, where they're released after centuries or millennia of imprisonment like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was actually like a bit strange to have these kind of aesthetic in the in the episode because like um, with Russell T Davies he had like this whole thing about like Christianity in Doctor Who like you know you have like in the, the end of times this whole thing with like the the mural with the Doctor on it and 
Um, there's a whole like uh, last of the time old stuff with uh, the doctor kind of like becoming super powerful through like human people facing into him and this whole thing with the Archangel Network. There's a lot of like Christian symbol of him. And like Stephen Moffat is just like going like all in like fairy tales and like sort of very like, childlike logic in, in aesthetics. And I was actually kind of a bit like I didn't dislike it, but I thought it was like a bit of a swerve to because the general era has been like sort of very rooted in like reality. I think much more than the previous previous couple of ones. Um, yeah. Being like j- j- just like the fact that series twelve, for instance, uh, has so far entirely happened on Earth. Like, you know, yeah. sometimes future Earth, sometimes past Earth. But there's a lot of stuff about, like, um, big technology, big corporations. Um, yeah, and sort of like a very, like, sort of technological, gritty feeling to it. Like, even even stuff like um, Nikola Tesla, historical, um, it's very interested in sort of, like, so the very, like, the very technical side of science fiction, the very science side of science fiction. Yeah, even, like, a certain real, structure is, like, yeah, even though the Sergeant's Doctor is kind of like you know, like a mad inventor is like making like making a Sonic and the Daleks do the exact same thing in Resolution where like they build themselves and stuff and it's really really something that we don't really have seen that much in Doctor Who because I, I think like there's a bit of Whitaker that's like trying to reference like uh, the William Hartnell era but like even then like sort of like the William Hartnell thing was that like, he was like like a, mad, a genius mad scientist but also his, like, invention and stuff didn't always work really well, because he was, like, this mad scientist in a time machine that didn't work and who accidentally kidnapped school teachers. And mm-hmm. whereas, like, Dorica feels like she knows what she's doing a lot more, and you have this sort of, like, very calculated, like, technology feeling. So, like, throwing, like, the, the whole weird gods and monsters imagery and uh, with their weird, like, uh, giant carnivorous sloth. It's, uh, it's a bit weird. Yeah, there's still a technological angle to it, wasn't it? Because they, when they find the, uh, the space station... All the the fingers are sort of slotted yes. into into slots like that, so it's kind of a fusion, I guess, of uh, the supernatural and the, the technical. Yeah, I, I think that there are bits where it works really well. I think like the whole finger thing is just great because it, it like makes this a very surreal, dreamlike imagery with sort of much more like nitty gritty, sciencey stuff. Mm. I think some of like the plot, of the other plot mechanics are a bit. I don't think it's like the strongest part of the episode, the whole like gods, space station, stealing people's dream stuff. I think like the character stuff and the themes and the way it kind of digs into like the different characters and societies is a lot stronger. Um, yeah, basically. I thought it was interesting that uh, Zelin name checked uh, the Eternals and the Guardians and the Celestial Toy Maker. I loved that. Yeah, I love that he didn't say the celestial toy maker. He just says toy maker. Mm-hmm. Good, good dodge on the racial implication there. Appreciated, but uh, True. but yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it was nice. And you know, I just like a lot of his episodes. Not the celestial toy maker, obviously, because mm. that one is a uh, a bit hard to get through yeah. for more reasons than one. But um, 
you know, a lot of the other ones are really fun. And kind of a side of Doctor Who you don't see referenced all that much in the new series. Like, you know, the Marvellans got a, a name drop before yeah. we got the Eternals and the Guardians and stuff. So, yeah, it's quite nice. I like that. It's really nice to have these kind of references that only we would know whereas like maybe more of a casual audience wouldn't know that it was there like it's not an obvious in your face thing so that we can sit here and be really excited about it and be like oh my god he like name dropped the toy maker but you know if i if i was watching it with like a friend at work or something they would not know what it meant but it's just kind of part of the story i really like those those subtle references yeah and like it's not gratis because it fits like sort of the the aesthetics they're going for like it reminds me a lot of um Alpha Centauri's cameo in Empress of Mars in Series 10 because like yeah it's like a reference for fan and stuff like that but you know like the Paladin stories were really political and about the European Union and that kind of stuff so it made like perfect sense to have them there yeah I think it makes perfect sense to like name John the Garden and stuff it's like it's good fun service it makes sense and it's to be serviced as a fan. So, yeah. It makes the, the universe of Doctor Who feel more connected. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think I'm right in saying Enlightenment, the only classic story that's written and directed by a female writer and director. So, um, wow. It's, um, if, if not the only one, it's one of the only ones. So, yeah. uh, it feels logical to sort of point people towards that as well from, from the era yeah. that we're in at the moment. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. I, I think it's the only one, yeah. I actually am not sure if I've seen Enlightenment. I'm just going to Google it quickly, sorry. I definitely haven't seen Enlightenment. I have a lot of a lot of gaps in, in, in my who knowledge. Well, I have a lot of... Oh my God, I just typed in Enlightenment with no context. <laughs> and Google's given me all the results for what Enlightenment means. No, I didn't mean... <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be deep. I just want to know about Doctor Who. Um, yes, I find that I started re-watching Classic Who, no, started watching it, sorry, and then started doing Time Team, Doctor Who magazine, so then I dropped off from watching it myself because I was watching them for that and I didn't want my reactions to be like, you know, I've already seen them. Um, and then I stopped doing that and now I need to get back on it, but I've just got so many other things to do. But I did start watching on BritBox, I need to get back onto it. Um, so I'm just having a look if I've seen this one because I can't blooming remember let's see yeah i i I have a lot of um adhd so watching classic who serials is really hard like i probably i probably need to do it with like other people around but uh my friends all live very far Mm. and very lonely so alas i'm just Um. I'm just, yeah, it is. It's better to watch classic Who with friends because when they're when they're like the 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 stupid bits or the bits that are a bit rubbish come on, you can kind of laugh about them. Yeah. Whereas if yes. you watch it on your own, it, it can be a bit not not boring, but just we're used to TV made completely differently as it you know to what it was back then. Yeah, it's great fun watching it with other people. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it turns out I haven't seen Enlightenment, so I'm gonna put that on the list. It's very good. Very good one. Uh, yeah, so what I was going to say before we're talking about the kind of the, the, the gods and the mythic element, I thought the animated section was really well because it was almost like a cave painting style. 
Um, you know, that is like my complete aesthetic because I've started journaling and all of the doodles that I do in the journal, I'm not an artist, so I can only doodle. Um, everything I draw in there is like celestial doodles. And so when that animation scene thing happened, I was just like, oh, this is so exciting. I can draw these bits in my journal. <laughs> in my journal and I just really like that because it was a fun way of explaining things I saw someone tweeting actually sorry to go off on a tangent but I saw them tweeting that it reminded them of you know in Harry Potter um when they have those animated bits um uh, the talking about the the three what's it Deathly Hallows yeah Deathly yeah. Hallows sorry my brain is not working today Deathly Hallows and then that and I was like yeah that's the exact feel that I get from that mm. Really lovely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, 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 had the same, I had the same impression. And that was, that was really neat, yeah, because it sort of, like, has this sort of, like, very, you know, child drawing and, like, like sort of, I don't know, uh, caveman painting sort mm. of feel, which, yeah. like, re- really lines up well with the sort of aesthetics the episode's going for. And it's just, like, really cool that Dr. Who's able to, like, sort of, like, break, like, formal conventions like that and just do its own thing for a bit. Like, it reminded me, it reminded me a bit of uh, scenes, like, I don't know, like the, the pre-credits to uh, Before the Flood in Series 9, where you have, like, uh, Peter Capaldi just monologuing at the camera for two minutes, mm. and yeah. you don't know if it's actually happening in the show, if you're just talking to the audience. I love that sort of stuff. I, I wish, like, every episode that had, like, a weird, completely crazy idea like that. It would just be so Great. boring if we didn't have these crazy things in Doctor Who that were different. Definitely, yeah. No, that was... Yeah, uh, and uh, it, 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 in the fact the show can make sort of like very like experimental, experimental stuff like that that you would find like in like very hotel like films or TV shows or like very pretentious stuff. And just next to that, you have a giant fucking sloth. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe it looks like a sloth. I literally, when it came on screen, I like giggled. I was like, what? (laughs) I love it, you know. I I want to color it. It's just, yeah, it's it's adorable. I want one. I I, I wish they did like, you know, giant plushies so (laughs) <laughs> that I could have one. Like Imagine. it would probably take like it would probably take like half my my, my student bedroom because it's not big, but it it would be so cute, you know. You, you could cuddle with it, and like you could just you know when you have had a, a tough day, you can just like hug it, and it's great, you know. Even, even the claws are like are like the claws that a sloth would have, weren't they? Um, which they using for yeah. climbing, but it had that creepy yeah. way where it grabs the uh, the character from behind and just sort of slowly uh, closes over her face and then drags her off. Really, really creepy stuff. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Because those bits were so scary, and then that one scene when it was on the ceiling and it, it's 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 kind of its nose was at a weird angle that made it look like a sloth as well. Yeah. And so <laughs> in every other scene they were terrifying, but in that one I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think from the point of view of kids watching that and the the bit where Zelin appears in the little boy's bedroom um uh, after oh, his mum's just told him that everything's fine and then he just appears and says something like uh well that's not true because uh, that God, that's terrifying isn't it yeah because that is the thing i remember that that you, you when you're a kid that's what your nightmares um are about aren't they because you uh when you're a kid i suppose you, your bedroom's the only time you're on your own um and then it's dark and your imagination's going crazy um so yeah i thought uh yeah kids watching that that's got to be super terrifying 
it's all it's already terrifying having like a figure in your room mm. but when its fingers start to <laughs> detach <Yeah>. themselves <laughs> from the hand that is when i would lose it he's got such a great look that i can't I, i've momentarily forgotten the actor's name but he's got such a builder yes um, he's got such a creepy, creepy look to him, hasn't he? With just such a kind of lugubrious face and, and, and the bald head with the tattoos and everything like that. So. He really does look like a Valiard or something, doesn't he? Yeah. A bit, yeah. Which is also a bit weird because he's got like such like a creepy look. And you've got uh, when he frees um, uh, the goddess whose name I have completely forgotten. Um, but... She, she doesn't quite look as threatening. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I must say, because because like you know the sort of like white wig and stuff. I, I thought that was a bit, bit weird in terms of like sort of like an aesthetic clash. Because I guess like it's supposed to be like sort of like two halves of like the same duality or something. Mm. But I think it's <laughs> great though that they're opposites because she's kind of like he does the dirty work and she watches over everything being all like glamorous and mysterious and then do you know what i mean like i like that they're kind of opposite in, yeah. in their the way that they are also there's some things that like especially just scene where like she's like in the middle of the street and sort of absorbing everyone's nightmares i just had to pause for a second and just okay i liked this episode but i liked it better when it was uh, in the sarajan adventures and when it was called the nightmare man because that <laughs> shot is like the exact same as a shot of like Julian Bleach in yeah. clown makeup, go, like laughing in the street, absorbing everyone's nightmares. Well, I, I, I think the Nightmare Man. I, I think the Nightmare Man is actually like one of the best stories of like the revival era. So when I say that I prefer the Nightmare Man, it's not like a slide on. Can you hear me? I just think the Nightmare Man is really, really good. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy how similar they are. It kind of reminded me of um, uh, the only thing I can remember really when I was a kid having nightmares about was when I read the BFG. Um, oh yeah, and uh, oh, it's when yeah. the kid looks out of his bedroom window and sees the BFG walking down the street. Um, oh yeah, and then um, the uh, he kind of reaches in the bedroom window and, and picks him up and takes him out. Um, I'm sure I must have a nightmare about other stuff. It's the only thing that I can really vividly remember, and that whole thing then of like having um, like a being in, in your room seeing somebody down on the street, it, it reminded me of all that sort of stuff. And uh, I thought, God, this, this is a really good, creepy episode. Yeah. Like, when I was, like, I didn't have many nightmares as a kid, but when I was, like, 10 years old, uh, I watched Alien. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, had, I, had, I had a lot of uh, xenomorph-themed uh, nightmares for a few months after that. <laughs> yeah. Alien is yeah. one of the most brilliant movies ever, but, God, it's terrifying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it's good because when you see that at, like, 10 years old, you know, like, nothing compares, like, in terms of, like, <laughs> sheer feeling because uh yeah because now you know i'm 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 watching stuff and i'm like oh oh, oh, yeah this is pretty 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 spooky but you know it's not like that time when i watched it at 10 years old because i was i I wasn't feeling well like at all uh yeah uh my 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 parents love 
weird, spooky shit. I, I read Lovecraft when I was like nine years old. So yeah, I think that explains a lot about how I turned out. <laughs> uh, I think you get desensitized to it because people always say to me like, oh, did you find it scary? Or people, a couple of my friends at work find it really scary. And I'm like, I like, I watched... I watch American Horror Story at like 3 a.m. Like, I, it just doesn't phase me. <laughs> it does not phase me. But I can see why it would be creepy, but I, I don't really find things scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Doctor Who kind of works best, like, in terms of horror when it's more like sort of, like, when it's more sort of like scary concepts, more than like, you know, like actually trying to like to spook you in the episode. Um, stuff like um, I'm mostly thinking about um, Dark Water and the whole don't cremate me bit mm. which it's horrifying but it's horrifying when you start to like start to think about it and its implications and, but it's not like trying to like make you jump out of your seat and, because you know who ha- still has to be sort of like child friendly like which is good yeah. But it, it can only go so far in terms of, like, weird, creepy imagery and disturbing content. I think it's good occasionally. It's very good, like, occasionally at being tense. Like, I, I think I still think, like, for instance, like, Blink is, like, a really, really tense episode. But I don't, don't think I would call it, like, it's scary. Like, it's not in the same thing for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree with that. Um, I think it's part of it as well is um, kind of once you're quite into Doctor Who and you've watched like Doctor Who Confidential and you read Doctor Who magazine, you're kind of more aware of how it's made. So yeah. um, there's, a, there's a sense where you, you're not, um, uh, I'm not trying to say, really, you're not that kind of fully absorbed it because you're, you're thinking about um, the, the writing of it and the, the direction and, and how the, the, uh, the effects are achieved and that sort of thing. Yeah, it kind of takes you out, out of it a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Like, especially since I think horror and like fear, like films where it's really, really easy to feel or look really cheap and bad if you make mistakes. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, for instance, like it's always uh, this bit uh, in like uh, Knock Knock, like the Peter Capaldi episode. Uh, I absolutely hate. It's this bit where you have like a, a like a two minute scene of like all the students in the house getting spooked, uh, and but actually uh, it was just the doctor eating like a bunch of prawn crisps in the cupboard. <laughs> I really hate that bit because it works when you watch the episode once, but like every time you rewatch the episode, you know that you know it's not going to lead to anything, so there's absolutely no tension, and I think that, like, dramatically doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. But I don't like, can you hear me to sort of, like, get back to do a thing? I think it actually works pretty well in terms of, like, I don't think it's trying to be all that scary. I think it's more, like, sort of trying to be, like, very sort of character-driven and, like, play on the anxiety of the character more than, like, trying to make you feel uncomfortable. But it, I think it has, like, a lot of very, very cool, like, art direction, like the whole space station bit. The way it's lit and sort of shot is very, very atmospheric and very good. And I think a lot of the nightmare scenes were 
pretty efficient. I think some of them might like have benefited from being like a bit longer, a bit more ex- or a bit more developed. But I think they, they really do get the point across. Like I think like the whole where like the Yaz nightmare is shot. She obviously I think everyone agrees like gets the best bits in an episode. But like the whole way she's shot like in isolation on on this road, even if you don't get the context until the end of the episode. Mm. It kind of it conveys really well in the sense of like isolation and feeling lonely and uncomfortable. And I really, really like the whole bit with like um, Ryan's nightmare with like the fire, the way it brings back the dregs from Open 55. Oh, I love the dregs. Yeah, that was really good. Cause I, I think it like works so well, kind of like tying the season together in terms of interesting themes because you have like the characters having a lot of um, a lot of anxiety and uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of sort of baggage to deal with especially the doctor uh, following the, the whole destruction of Gallifrey and that is tied with like this whole idea of planets being destroyed which is everywhere in the season because you have Gallifrey being destroyed you have like future yeah, yeah. destroyed Earth um, yeah um, Obviously, like the environmental threat in Praxis, and like in Praxis, people are fleeing from the destroyed planet that was destroyed by the virus. And even then, you have like like two planets that are collapsing into one another, which I thought was really nice. I thought it was actually really nice the way they kind of twisted that because it was like two sort of like two different civilizations that like collapsed the planets together, that kind of like. That sort of because you had that you had like that line in Orphan Fifty Five about how you know the rich people screwed the planet up and then fled, and like in Can You Hear Me, you almost have like a subtext of our planet screwed, but at least we are going to screw up the people who like corrupted our civilization and pushed us through that. What else was a was a nice touch? I, I, I like that. Mm. Yeah, and then like you say, the the character stuff um, with with Yaz um, was was I thought really really well handled. Um, like you say, you don't really realize the full import of it until the end. Um, and I guess that's oh, partly it's so good. Yeah, I think it's like what you're saying. Um, you know, like with the horror, you have to tone it down for kids, and I, I, it probably works on two levels. If if you're a child watching it, you'd get the the idea that maybe she ran away, which can probably be a big scary idea. Uh, if you're younger, but then um, you know, watching it as an adult, and you appreciate that um, what it was that she was she was contemplating suicide. Um, really, really powerful when uh, when the penny drops. I think that moment. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And for me, it made sense of the scene in Spyfall when she gets back from the Kasavin's realm, um, and it was that fear that she was going to be there on her own and that nobody was going to come for her. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, because it, she's been there before, yeah, mm. yeah, in that mindset. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really it made sense of that scene a lot, and um, and, and the whole character and the because the scene the witch finders when she talks about being bullied and things as well. Uh, she, See, I thought together. this since she since she came on into the show that she had something maybe like a secret or a mental health thing. Because, you know, you have all the stuff about her wanting more and, you know, in the in the woman who fell to earth, she talks about how she wants more. And, you know, in Arrakis in the UK, when she's saying, you're, you know, the doctor's the best person she's ever met and talking about being bullied and, and, and all of this stuff, when 
when you really look at that, it's like a person that, and she says she wants to see more of the universe. And, and, and then also something that I really clocked was in, and I always thought this was weird in Arachnids where her parents and her sister were just like, oh, Yaz doesn't have friends. Yaz doesn't bring friends home and all things like that. And now yeah. it all adds up so much better because you know where she's come from. Mm. I just wish that we had, I kind of wish that this episode was in the last season so we would have had that context, you know, sooner. And maybe because I saw someone on Twitter was saying that they love the storyline and it's really great, but it's too, kind of too late because it means that we only just now get the context of her character where, where no one's really, you know, no one's really had that the entire time she's been there and it's kind of been a waste that we didn't have it. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, I do think that, like, it kind of, kind of works anyway and I think it works. It makes, like, I don't think it makes, like, the, yeah, I think it makes, like, the old episodes stronger in retrospect. Rather than, yeah. like, having the whole plotline feel weaker. Because um, there's, yeah. there's a lot of lines that, with this added context, feel a lot more impactful. Um, uh, the one, I, like you mentioned a bunch of episodes, the one I really clocked was uh, in Demons of Punjab, where the doctors say, we can have a universe without Yaz. And, yeah. uh, which, like, feels, like, very... very very like relevant to that mm. and to why yes would feel like such an, an affection for the doctor in like that stuff but yeah. yeah but anyway like even though it comes it come it, it comes up like kind of a bit late in the run and yeah i think everyone can agree that it would probably have been better uh, last season i think that like if this had been like last season's finale instead of uh, the battle of friends of colors Nobody would really have complained. No, mm. you're right. I don't think anyone would have complained if they just didn't have an episode 10 of last series, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> yes. I'm almost happy. Yes. Honestly, I don't have many negative Doctor Who opinions, but that episode is literally... No. Mm. <laughs> Why? Why? Why did this happen? Sorry, guys. I agree. That it might work better if they swapped uh, "It Takes You Away" with this story. So, how can you hear me in in place of that in last series, and then have um, "It Takes You Away" in this series? A bit. Like, I, I can sort of see it, but also I think that series eleven does have like this whole arc with uh, Ryan Graham and Definitely. them learning to yeah. be like a a, a grandfather grandson team, and you, you kind of need like "It Takes You Away" in there. So you probably should just like. Jettison the battle of Friends Graf Carlos and Tam takes you away in last season and yeah yeah but um, yeah but I think that like it's still really really nice that we had this episode because it's only the first bit of Doctor Who to talk about mental health but I think it does it in a very different way and one that's like very much needed because like it does tie up with um what we were saying before about like the, the channel you're being much more realistic in a lot of ways because um, you have for instance I think like the big obvious episode in terms of like mental health PSA even complete with having like a little um, if you're not feeling well call this number thing at the end um, yeah. is Vincent as a doctor uh, which I love I think it's a great episode I 
probably actually prefer it to Can You Hear Me in other ways. But also it does talk about mental health through a lot of like metaphors and a lot of like commentary about art and the artist and like performance. And I'm not I'm not saying that the episode says that like, oh you have to be depressed to make great art. I don't I think it like avoids that kind of pitfall really well. But it does kind of like have this whole sort of very meta-commentary thing going on and that's the thing that's very much there like throughout the Moffat era because uh, he does write a lot of characters that struggle with um, mental health like Amy Pond has a clearly like a lot of a lot of trauma and a lot of baggage and uh, Clara Oswald is just like a, a psychiatrist's like dream patient like you, you. there was actually um uh, a bit in um, the Zygon Invasion, like in the first draft of the story, where Peter Harness had like written a short scene of um, Clara visiting her therapist before, wow. uh, w- which I didn't make um, the, the final cut, and I'm a bit sad about that because I thought it would have been really interesting. But like, yeah. even though those characters have like a lot going on, they're very interesting and have a lot of really compelling mental health struggles and have meant a lot of things to a lot of people. I know that there's a lot of um, people in uh, the LGBT community, especially that identify a lot with Amy or Clara or Blues. But like, even then, it's never like actually said out loud that they have issues with mental health, that they have a depression, that they have PTSD, stuff like that, which is like, which is a problem because it's always through this layer of metaphor and imagery and science fiction plotting, and it's not not valuable, but also, we kind of need stories that like address mental health as like a thing, like a concrete thing that's happening to yeah, people. Yeah, I and, think they love means... mental health as well a little bit because you know that you know in in the eleventh hour when um, it's been like another twelve years, fourteen years, whatever. No, twelve years. Sorry, <laughs> um, and they're walking down the street, and she says twelve. 12 years and 10 psychiatrists or 12 psychiatrists or it's it's just kind of like paid off as like a, a joke or like a do you know what I mean and I just feel like they could have taken it much more seriously instead of making Amy like yeah definitely um, yeah yeah so there's, there's always sort of like layer of like irony with Stephen Moffat which I don't I don't dislike and I think it gets a bit too much shit because of it because it's kind of very tongue in cheek and People get really angry about it. But it does kind of impact the way his stories are read and sometimes impacts the representation angle. Yeah. Like I think it's, there's, there's this whole thing, especially that you see with um, the sexuality of this character, because uh, you can absolutely read, for instance, um, Amy Pond, maybe, but definitely Clara Oswald, as, um, as some shade of queer uh, and bisexual. Like Clara Oswald, you had like the whole Jane Austen thing. Yeah. And, you know... That's really good, and that's really valuable. They never actually say in the text that they're bisexual, and sort of played for like you know often jokes or comments, which yeah. once again I don't have this like an issue with, and you know I really relate to Clara Oswald for a lot of reasons, uh, including you know bisexuality, but also yeah, you kind of need at some point to stop with that sort of layer of irony and commentary and just 
talk about things directly. And I think that like the tribunal era being a lot more direct sometimes has all the convenience, but the visit does show that it, it has advantages too. And I really appreciated what they're trying to do and I thought it was really touching. Yeah, I kind of agree. I sorry, I'm trying to think what I was gonna say. Um yes, I think that with Clara I inferred a lot from and there was a lot about her recklessness in series nine and how she didn't really care for her own life anymore and that's why she was being so reckless and she'd lost so many people and you know, all of that. And I just think all of that was so brilliant brilliantly done, but they never really said it. Like how you say you know, how you say it, they never really covered it properly and I guess the, the thing that's great about this is that you know you have all these these gods being like oh humans they're so rubbish they, they hate themselves and they've got all these feelings ha 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 and then the doctor's like no that makes them great actually and then you see Yaz surviving and you see Yaz going from being in this horrible horrible place that I'm sure many kids watching or even adults watching or, you know myself I, I was watching and had just felt so emotional to see Gaz survive, go on to do her dream job and then also be travelling the universe and and saving people and like, you know, just existing still and surviving and like carrying on and being happy. And I think that's it's really important to address that head on for your audience so that it can help people. And I think that yeah. I think like they had they had um they worked with mine, which is a really good mental health charity. Um, for this story and I'm so glad they did because I just think it was done so well especially having the speeches about that it's okay to feel these things and also have the doctor which which the, the, the doctor's reaction to Graham was something that I didn't really enjoy at first but now that mm. I've seen everyone else kind of talking about how it helped them I, I've kind of changed my mind a little bit I think they showed so many aspects of how mental health can affect people and their reactions and I just think it was really really well done yeah I, I can totally get that some people were made a bit uncomfortable by the grand thing, but I really like yeah. it um, for, I think, mostly personal reasons, because um, personal uh, things alert. Um, my mother's a cancer survivor, and uh, she had cancer when I was like a very young kid. I was like 9 or 10. And uh, when you were kid age 9 or 10 and have uh, a parent going through that, you really have no idea of what you're supposed to say or do. Yeah. And it's very confusing. And honestly, I related to 13 a lot in that moment because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. very hard. You know, you, 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 sometimes you just have to people, yeah, I really, really don't know what to say. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah, which, yeah. Um... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think I've seen something today as well that there was um, there was some complaints to the BBC about that scene. So they've they've made a statement to say um, that that's what it was about. You know, to to show people that it is kind of okay not to know what to say in the moment, but just to be there um, so that people yeah. can open up. Um, yeah, I think for me as well, it kind of reminds you that. Um, in a way like the, the doctor isn't real like they like she doesn't have the right things to say in that situation and then in the wider things like demons of the punjab and and and, and things like that you know she can't do anything about partition or um you know kind of uh, racism and segregation in uh yeah. in, in rosa 
uh, you know, she can um, defeat the the aliens and people who are trying to mess with history. But but the bigger things are just there and there for you know for people to work on and and and, and just try to improve ourselves in a way. Yeah, yeah. Which I, a lot of a lot of people had like a big issue with that in series eleven, and I kind of got it. But I really like the way series twelve sort of like rephrased that into. It's not the doctor is powerless, but it's just that you know humanity kind of has to like collectively step up and do and do stuff and like work on better planets and better themselves. I do it's mad agree. To me like, Sorry, I just I I and it came no, straight no, out. No, 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 it's, it's crazy to me that people have such a problem with the Doctor being uh, preaching this season or talking about saving the Earth or, or things that humans are doing wrong or anything like that because we have an episode like Kill the Moon back in 2014 where the Doctor was like, lol, just going to leave Clara to deal with this thing on her own and the human race is not to do with me. But do you know what I mean? And I feel like the reactions to when the Doctor was like that or when the 12th Doctor was socially awkward is so different to the reactions that Jodie is getting mm. yeah I agree yeah I think like one criticism of the episode I do kind of get on like the last scene is that if they were going to do like this bit with sort of um, like um, the Doctor not knowing what to say to Graham they probably should have sort of like ended it on yeah. that because, like, sort of, like, the teaser for, like, oh, and uh, I was singing Frankenstein. That does feel, that, that does kind of make the Doctor feel a bit more, like, glib than she maybe should in that scene. I felt like that bit, yeah, okay, I can kind of I can kind of see the issues there. But definitely, I don't think that, like, the, the Doctor being... Uh, you know, I think it works pretty well here because it feels an evolution of the character because she, like, she doesn't always have words and she isn't always able to do things, but she's kind of open about that in like a way where she very honestly tells Graham that she doesn't she doesn't have like the right tools to help him right now, which is very really different from uh, what you said was like kills the moon with the doctor going, oh yeah, I can help you, but you know just yeah, you know, go and fuck a situation by yourself. It's not my business. You know, it felt like very, like very, it kind of ties up, I think, a bit to sort of, um, just that sort of like previous episodes and kind of like shows how she's different from the present incarnations and mm. kind of like that. I think, I think she could do with a lot more of those little moments. And I think that that's really the kind of stuff that's like showcases her personality as a doctor. And yeah, I liked it. I, I just liked that bit. So. I put in my notes um, that because um, she's a bit kind of clumsy and awkward around it. Um, that much like Zelin's nightmare harvesting powers, she's all fingers and thumbs. Which was a bit of a rubbish joke. Um, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't entirely get that. Uh, it was it was it was a rubbish joke. I'll just cut it out, honestly. So. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, fingers and thumbs. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Wow, I'm very tired. Um, I'll just I'll I'll just drop that bit. Sorry, it was. Uh, no, no, no. I like. <laughs> I, I'm so tired. I was just like staring into space, just like daydreaming. Back, can you hear me? <laughs> honestly, am I okay? The title is really good too. I think because like. 
Yeah, you know, it starts sort of like, can you hear me as like this like ominous whisper? And it kind mm-hmm. of becomes about, uh, in the end, when you have like, the full context of the episode, um, about like a mental health, you know, can you hear me? Can you actually like, can you listen to me? Can you listen to my problems? And mm-hmm. I thought that was like a really nice start. Like the episode has a lot of very nice, very subtle little nice touches about mental health like that. Like I really, really love that bit about, like, um, um, Ryan's friend, Thibaut, like, um, going to therapy at the end. Mm. And he talks a lot about how he's feeling isolated and is going to, like, um, to supermarket just to talk to the cashier. Yeah. It was, like, such a a human, realistic little detail. I, I love that. Uh, I'm Do you not think loving it was a that. therapy um, session because my boyfriend said he was just talking to his friends and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a therapy session. I'm not entirely sure. Like, I think it might have been like group therapy or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. Because there does seem to be like an older guy in sort of like a, a, a chair. So yeah, I, I, I kind of got that it was therapy. I don't know, but like anyway, it still anyway, it still works whatever the context yeah. is. But yeah, yeah, I just and also I, I felt it was. Sorry, I keep thinking of things and then it just comes out of my mouth. Continue. (laughs) Yeah, because I also don't have like many friends that I'm able to see. Like, uh, I have like friends, but they tend to live uh, scattered across the UK or indeed in other countries. So, you know, uh, the loneliness is real. It's very real. So, I that bit like very relatable. Yeah, don't you think it was really good as well that? this whole thing is like Ryan's travelling on the TARDIS around the universe. He could get any, you know, surely there can be any, any like fix that he could get for his friend's mental health. But he was actually like, it, they actually showed a way that if you were someone watching and that's how you were feeling, that that's what a, a person would go and do. Like you'd go and have group therapy mm. instead of just like them being like, oh, here's a magic thing to make you feel better from like another planet. Do you know what I mean? I just thought it was really nice that they, that Ryan was like, yeah. And then, yeah. And then they actually showed yeah. it. They actually showed this, like Ryan's friend going to therapy, which was just like, instead of just leaving it and not really like showing what happened to him. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, it's not something I'm especially, like, well-equipped to comment on because uh, I am, in fact, a very white. But I don't know if that's, like, a very nice touch to have, like, um, Bar Graham and, you know, his doctor, but having, like, the episode does focus a lot on uh, Ryan's hero and Yaz, and uh, none of the characters are white. And I thought especially... um, with uh, Ryan and his friend, uh, I've read a bit um, about um, sort of um, black masculinity lately uh, for actually uh, uh, Doctor Who related reasons because I'm writing a book on uh, Arachnids in the UK and read a lot about like um, grime and sort of uh, UK black culture for that. And I thought it was really interesting um, to sort of, sort of way of where you, where you had like um, Ryan coming to his friends' help and also at the therapy station at the end, uh, all the people in the room are black men. Yeah. And I thought that was sort of really interesting to show uh, sort of like a very sort of caring masculinity with men sort of supporting each other that way. Yeah. Uh, especially... Yeah. 
especially especially in, in a context where you know uh, masculinity can be very isolating, and in the UK, a lot of racism, also like that. I'm not black, yeah. but I can imagine that also is a big contributing factor when it comes to feeling uh, very alienated and disoriented in the world. And so I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Mm. It is interesting that, yeah, that Ryan's fear as well in his nightmare is about not being there for his friends. Um, and again, kind of reminded me of, of the scene in Spyfall when Yaz has got back from the Kasavin realm and she's opening up about saying, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to die or I thought I was dead. Um, and Ryan's response was, well, I'm never going to let that happen. Whether we're pointing towards, um, you know, some kind of conflict with him that he... He wants to be there for his friends on Earth, but he also wants to be there to protect uh, the, the Doctor and Yaz yeah. and, and Graham, who obviously got like a, a family bond to as well. And uh, also, he's lost his mum and his grand now. He must have such a fear about losing other people. Absolutely, yeah. That, that that's he's going to be like kind of a sense of duty uh, of looking after people that that's um, that we're going to see from him now. I felt I felt like that fearing not like fearing that he might not be there for his friend. Was a great beat because he does have a lot of baggage uh, about abandonment because his dad did kind of leave him. Mm. Um, I thought it made like perfect sense for him, you know, not wanting to replicate sort of stuff and like be there and be supportive. And yeah, that was pretty good, really interesting, and it sort of also fits into like the way like the season keeps sort of talking about the way that like humans and like ordinary people sort of have to take action uh which is you know there in orphan 55 uh it there obviously in um in praxis and it kind of comes back there too with uh, with ryan sort of like being afraid that like if he's not on the earth actually trying to make change happen then Maybe like the future is seen is seen or from fifty five might actually materialize. And it's really interesting because you, you have this, this characters that have all especially now that we have like the full context, have all kind of been like really traumatized. You know, uh, Yaz obviously has had a, a suicide attempt. Uh, Ryan uh, had his father leaving uh, and uh, his mother dying and Graham obviously uh, lost Grace. And they've all kind of like like latched a bit onto his doctor as like a way for them to 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 get to see the stars and to like sort of flee a world that they feel is very oppressive and you know like so, like the planet Earth of the terminal years isn't very hospitable. Like you know, a bunch of corrupted billionaires and giant spiders and Sometimes Daleks, uh, yeah. So, so you, know, you kind of get what they would want to fuck off for a bit, but I thought like the way series twelve, especially like with that last episode, I thought like it, it, there's a real interesting tension between them wanting to sort of run from planet Earth and you know getting to see all the amazing things, and also being like being conflicted about that because they do feel like they have a duty to their planet and a duty to their friends and wanting to do the right thing for, for the world, which I think is, you know, is very relatable tension because we all do want, you know, we can't always be preoccupied by politics and by activism 
because you know if you spend all of your days just focusing on that you you would you would die it's not like possible emotionally speaking you kind of need escapism and you need uh, you need friends you need people to support you but at the same time there's always a sort of like am I doing enough for which yeah I think it's like really modern and really powerful anxiety that the season has been tapping on I think it's really interesting Definitely, yeah. Um, and then, and then, um, Graham's nightmare. It it seemed like it seemed like it was about his cancer being back. But then I thought the uh, the presence of Grace kind of made that a little bit more interesting as well. Like it was maybe a little bit about survivor guilt because uh, yeah. it was Grace asking about uh, you know why didn't you save me? And it made me wonder as well if that's part of the reason why. It was he who got the visions from from the other god, uh, from Rakea, that was yeah. trapped and not the other characters. Uh, if it was something about, uh, in him, the need to save somebody. Yeah, that's such a good point. I wonder if, like, I, I reckon that's probably the reason why, yeah. Although I don't think it's explicitly yeah. presented in the episode. Hmm. Also, also, I just saw that it's quite smart that he, he gets like his vision um, when he's playing cards with his friends because the episode keeps like uh, talking about the way like the gods are like playing the games between each other and it's a nice way to sort of like tie that into that theme oh, that was neat yeah yeah I didn't thought about that that's a good point as well yeah. wow <laughs> I feel like we're unearthing so much about the story <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I thought I I Graham's bit, like Graham's nightmare, was probably, I think, the least interesting part of the episode. I really like the final scene that we talked about, like the actual nightmare, because I feel like you kind of have done like um, a lot of stuff with uh, in Morning Grace already. Like it was kind of like a big emotional arc of series eleven, and especially like being confronted with a past version of Grace. Uh, well, not a past version, but like an, an alternative version of Grace is like was already done in a textual way, and you know, like the episode could stop on that a lot longer and get a lot deeper into that. And I don't know if it was like a, a, a bit redundant that way. Yeah, we also, didn't know about his survival guilt and stuff. Yeah, and also, also I must say that the fact that brought up like the cancer again at this point. Zephinoi has Cyberman in it. Yeah. I'm just... I wouldn't be shocked if that eventually came to play a part. Uh, you know, I'm not, like, super eager to see them cyber-convert a companion for, like, the third time in a row, but... Uh, yeah, I definitely knows? don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Knows. I think it's a good concept, but to have it three times in a row to like only companions that aren't white yes. <laughs> would be a bit problematic. I must, I, yeah, yeah I, must, I must say, if they got to cyber convert a companion, they definitely should do it to Graham uh, because having three companions of color being cyber converted in a row yeah. would be really bad optics. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, once again, love to Stephen Moffat here. Uh, yeah, that wasn't great. What if they convert Captain Jack into a Cyberman instead? 
<laughs> yeah, it, 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 it would be great, you know. He would like defeat cyber conversion through the power of horniness. <laughs> Which you, you laugh. I have there's actually uh, an audio that does that exact plot. Like wow. I remember, it's like in the in that in that big Finnish Cyberman series that they did in like. 2005 or something, and there's like an audio, but there's a guy that's partially cyber-converted, and there is a, a woman that frees him, but to stop him from being fully cyber-converted, she just kind of has to have sex with him repeatedly. It's really weird. That is the most big finish thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. 2005 and 2006 yeah. for Cybermen was just not great, was it? You had bloody tortured Cyberwoman and big finish weird sex cyber thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, cyber woman. Just that, 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 that I, I will never get over. You know, like, like the cyber bikini. It's just, <laughs> it's just so wonderfully awful. Yeah, I must say that if they did, like, if they made work of it, like, I would probably buy it. Like. I would love to have a cyber bikini at home. <laughs> I've just realised she's a black woman as well, isn't she? God, yes! Yeah. Yes. Lol. Yeah. Problematic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a thing. It's a thing. I, yeah, it's I an impossible thing. Yeah, we had a friend write for the Time Ladies about this, about the treatment of black characters in Doctor Who, and they talked about um, this sort of thing and how it's always the black characters that get killed or turn into Cybermen or blah, blah, blah. So I think it's something that is, uh, I'd like to hear more about from those types of voices because obviously you can't relate personally as a white person, but I, I want to know more about why that's a trope and all of that sort of thing other than racism. Because <laughs> it goes right back to Toberman in Tomb of the Cybermen, that, oh, doesn't bloody it? Oh, hell, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's the sort of stuff you don't necessarily notice, especially when you're a white person at first. But when you sort of like, sort of like crunch the numbers uh, in in terms of like black representation, who you sort of see trends, and they're not always like good trends. Like I think that uh, when I was writing my book about Series Eleven, uh, I like looked at um, black families in Doctor Who, and it's actually really, really rare to find like a happy and functional black family in Doctor Who. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, or if, if, if there is one that says, like, at least a few deaths in it, because, like, you know, Grace dies, uh, Ryan's dad is a deadbeat dad in Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, Clyde's dad is also a deadbeat father. Um, you have uh, Danny Pink's an orphan. Exactly. Danny Pink's an orphan, Bill's an orphan. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. And then you have to think, is this just an accident and that's, it's Doctor Who writing these amazing stories and they just so happen to be black people? Or like, is it, do you know what I mean? Like, is it, I was talking about this um, on the Galactic Yo-Yo podcast um, last week, actually, about representation and stuff. And it's kind of like, putting representation in the right place so this stuff doesn't happen or so that they're more careful about these the way it can turn out in yeah. terms of kind of like putting them wherever yeah like I definitely and you know I really do like the Russell Davies and Stephen Moffat heroes but also there are a lot of uh, white dudes 
And so it's like a huge, huge lot of white people, which is kind of an issue because you end up having, even when you tackle diversity, you kind of do it from a point of view that has a lot of limits. Um, yeah. I said, I think that, like, uh, Bill is a great character and does, like, a lot of really good stuff for representation, too. And I think it, she's still, uh, for instance, the, the best, like, queer representation that we've had so yeah, far definitely. in Doctor Who. Yeah. But also, when you see an episode like World of Us in Time, it's a really good episode, but also it kind of relies a lot on, like, black trauma and seems like it has a lot more to say about sort of class and it has to do about race which yeah. makes sense you know because I, I think that Stephen Moffat has a lot of like a lot, much better perspective on class than he has on you know gender or race but you know it's like like a, a thing that even the people who really hate the channel era must sort of like concede and that says a lot of like really good hires, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the script, right, in, like, in in the, in the writer's room. It, and, you know, especially when you see that, like, uh, people like Ovinia um, Patel or Charlene James are sort of, like, in a position where they're, like, working on their own BBC shows and are, like, pitching a lot of stuff left and right. Yeah. It, like, it's, it's, like, work that really needs to sort of be done and like you, you get some impressions like in maybe like five or ten years since these people have like have had like a lot of showroom experience and stuff like that they might come back to who and you might have like like eras that are really driven by this kind of perspective and like since there's like a lot of good sort of like groundwork that is being done right now and sort of yeah. in, in preparation for that mm-hmm. and yeah. I I'm sort of really I, I'm like I've liked uh, the Shinoria so far, uh, Series 12 much more than Series 11, but I'm, like, mostly very excited for what's going to come after it, which I don't want to seem, like, dismissive of, like, Chris Chibnall or Jodie here, because I like them both. But I feel like there's a lot of, like, really interesting changes in terms of, like, um, so people that they've hired and also, like, the sort of return to, like, a more grounded, realistic perspective. And I think that, like, like the next era, or like the era after that, is going to be just amazing. Yeah, and I I don't feel like for one second any of the showrunners have ever had any like I think they think <laughs> think their intentions are always good when it comes to representation and all of that. Like they've obviously tried really hard. Um, it's just those accidental moments where you're kind of like n- not enough is being done, or it's not being done in the right way, even though their intentions are there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think, like, like, like all showrunners have really tried their best in terms of, like, representation and stuff, and, yeah, I'm, like, very happy with them. It's not always true when it comes to, like, guest writers. We will not yeah. mention uh, a certain Mr. Air, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah let's, not, let's, let's not talk about him, but, you know. Mr. Who? Yeah, Who, yeah. Mm. The, the caretaker. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's... that's that, 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 that was just written by, you know, just written by Yatsune Miku. <laughs> so it, it feels like, uh, a, a, to me, the, the finale, I don't know if you've got the two-part finale, but it, it feels like it's really going to start this week with the the haunting of Villa Diodati. 
Diodati. Diodati. Yes. Um, it feels uh, for me the, the the final shot of this episode when you've got the characters all crowded around the console. Uh, and, Love and that. Pulling the lever, but it, there's something felt a little bit final about that. Like it's the sort of shot yeah. you get when they're off on their first adventure together or their last. Um, I don't know. Why would you say that? I just feel like um, that it's going to be. Um, I feel like the it's although it's it's kind of billed as a two part finale. I really feel like this is going to lead into it um, because yeah. it'd be crazy if they don't have a Cyberman in uh, an episode that's based around Frankenstein. Yeah, someone else said that to me. Actually, I think my boyfriend said that to me because he was like, "Surely they're in this one." I, yeah. have, I actually have no idea. But, or the um, lone Cyberman. Oh my god! Now that you've said that, I can't believe you said that. I literally never thought of that. Oh, I hope that's not their final song on the daughter. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I just also realized that like the shot of them like sort of like all pushing like the lever together mm. uh, is like very very much like the one at the end of Arakan in the UK, yeah. which is like the first moment where they all decide to like travel together. Oh, which... stop it! I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I mean, if if it is like the last sort of adventure together i think that like having that like just before like that, that big finale is like a really it's like a really nice move because mm. it sort of like gets like really personal and sort of really in depth with them yeah. and yeah and I, I think i think it's like a smart move i also think that it kind of emphasizes something interesting about them is that not less i think it it's going to sound mean when I say it like that, but they're a lot less like individual characters than like previous artist teams. I think they kind of work like as sort of a unit in a way. Like you know, like they're really like they're really the fam more than like Graham, Ryan, Yaz, like three different characters. Because they tend to have like sort of like a very like common uh, back sort of like a lot of things in common because they all have this sense of like trauma to them and yeah. like and uh, you know like in uh, in the episodes they all get like their own dedicated little uh, nightmare scenes and it's something that I've noticed a lot throughout the year where you know you, you, you kind of have almost this feeling that they're not so much like companions in the way like previous era that had companions but in a way they're like almost like the TARDIS's crew in a way mm. Yeah, uh, and and I, and I feel like you know, like a lot of episodes like um, uh, Tesla's Night of Terror, especially Praxius, I kind of have them like you know, almost like going you know on little missions, almost like you know uh, as if uh, with doctors they were like a team of like it's sort of like a lot more of an ensemble feel, uh, an ensemble feel. Like uh, I remember I talked about that on Twitter at some point. I mean, like a comparison with Star Trek. They kind of feel like a bunch of like bridge officers on Star Trek, you know, on the Starship TARDIS. And they're all very equal, aren't they? Well, I, 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 yeah, I would say they're all quite equal. Yeah, I, I think they're very equal in series twelve. I think like in series eleven, uh, Graham and Graham and maybe Ryan Bit had like a lot more uh, screen time and like importance than Yaz. I think it's gotten like evened out a bit uh, a lot in series twelve, which which I like. Because Mandy Gill's a really good actress. And, you know, she's she so good. She deserves oh to God. have. Like, oh, she's she's so good that episode. Like, yay! Suppose having all the companions from the same uh, place and era as well. Um, 
true, yeah. Uh, makes it a little bit different. When you've had uh, multiple companions in the past, um, you've tended to have, um, you know, maybe like Tegan from, from Modern Day Earth, but then you've had like Nissa and Adric and, and Turlo in different places, people like that. Yeah, had, uh, you know, dynamic then. Yeah, a, a companion um, who's who's more relatable like that and, and a canine or a Nardole um who's where you've got someone a bit a bit different uh whereas they're all they've all got similar kind of uh, background and life experiences by by coming from the same planet the same era guys i just had a horrible thought i'm really worried that yas is going to sacrifice herself for like the doctor or someone and because she, she I, I just think she's so like well, it's similar to how Clara was quite maybe not reckless, but how Clara kind of didn't care about herself. Do you know what I mean? I got that in, vibe. In series nine. Yeah, I got that vibe in Praxius when she pressed the teleport button. Yeah, um, yeah. It was like a moment. It reminded me of Clara of that, like you say, that that slight recklessness um, of uh, of just jumping in. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if she's going to continue with that, and it culminates in her having to actually sacrifice herself, yeah. but maybe yeah. out of more choice than Clara did. Yeah, I will. I will say, if if they got to like, um, I, I I think it's like pretty possible or even probable that like uh, some some part of like the, the team is going to leave at the end of this season or in like the upcoming special. But um, I think that if they got to get rid of like one of the three, the other three would be my last choice because I feel that she's gotten a lot less, sort of a lot of lot less different than the other two. Mm-hmm. And especially with like the the way her, her like especially with like the mental health stuff that we've learned about her in this episode. I think they could do a lot with that. And I think it would be really interesting to have if she were like for instance like the uh, the only companion was like thirteen and like just had this dynamic between just the two of them. I think that would be really oh, interesting. That. Yeah. I ideally would like Ryan and Graham to leave. I mean, not that I don't like them. I just think they've their story's done. Ryan mm. and Graham to go, Yaz to stay on, have a little bit of time with Tom yeah. and Yaz, and then maybe a new companion like halfway through the next series or something to join them. Yeah, def- yeah definitely. I also think that like um, you could still have maybe like Ryan and Graham as sort of like, you know, like a Martha in series four kind of deal. Mm. Whereas like, you know, they, they still like exist within the show and maybe yeah. like they pop up in like... In like one or two episodes, like the season after, but they're not like not traveling on a regular basis anymore. I think I would quite like that because I feel like you had like a lot of very like traumatic companion exits in the past, and you know, I think it could be interesting to like mix it up a bit, especially with the whole like Cyberman thing. Um, you know, if you want to do like a big companion departure in a Cyberman episode, kind of feel like there aren't like too many ways you can do that. And a lot of episodes have already been done in the past and done very well so I don't know I'm kind of curious to see how it, how it plays out yeah I think I'd quite like Ryan to go back and refound unit and that would tie into his uh, you know kind of wanting to save people and, and sense of responsibility yeah, for the planet the or maybe he goes with Captain Jack and and, and joins Torchwood like Martha <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe maybe something like that would be on the cards for him I think that would that would be a, a fitting a fitting exit for him but with the opportunity to uh, to come back now and again as well, like a brigadier sort of thing. There's also a lot of Oh, sorry. I was going to say there's a lot of development for his character in the new Ace book, At Childhood's End, um, in the respect that, like, he, I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a lot of development for him there in terms of 
looking after other people and all of that. So I, I won't, I won't, yeah, but it, it really ties in with what we're talking about. Right, I'm looking forward I'm, to reading that. I'm, I'm, reading it, I'm reading it right now, actually. It's on my nightstand. Yeah. Oh, it's a really good book. I'm listening to the audiobook now, and the best thing is Sophie Aldred doing Jodie, uh, uh, Jodie Coffin <laughs> and Mandip's voice yes. and Graham's. She can't, oh, she can't do Sylvester McCoy though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've read, uh, I've read like I'm about like a uh, hundred pages in, and uh, oh, no spoilers, yeah. but uh, but um, Graham and uh, Ace's friendship just warms my heart very deeply. I've got to wait. I'm getting that. It's like two weeks to my birthday, and I'm getting um, a childhood, a childhood's oh. end and season twenty six on Blu-ray. So I'm going to have a very kind of uh, oh. uh, seventh Doctor Ace uh, heavy uh, kind of weekend yeah. when I get all this stuff. You're going, you're going to have an Ace birthday. Yes. <laughs> wow. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot for Yaz in the book as well. Um, she. It matches and intertwines with what's happening in the series in the way that she, I think she's quite wary of Ace and like, and very aware that she's made like of the fact that she's finding out that she's not the first and it bothers her. And so it's really interesting. It really feeds in with what we know, what we know her to be now, you know, her past and everything. Yeah, I think like it kind of taps into like her insecurities and the way she latches uh, on the Doctor a lot, which, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And it's also, like, a really good reason to sort of um, have her stick around longer, because I feel that, like, if, you know, if something happened to, like, Graham or Ryan, um, it would, like, really sort of, like, redefine her dynamic with 13 and maybe, like, force her to see 13 and, like, a, you know, oh, maybe you're not, like, all-powerful and amazing like I thought you were. Maybe I have to, like, sort of, like, yeah. negotiate, like, my relationship with you and, like, healthier terms. Even so, you know, that's that would annoy me a bit because I do want, like, happy things for Ryan. He, he, he's a sweet boy. He deserves happiness. But, you know. Yeah, I'm sure they'll all get a happy ending. Yeah. You should, like, record that clip of you saying, I'm sure they'll have a happy ending, and, like, you know, post it on Twitter in two weeks. Just... I wonder if that will age well. <laughs> yeah. You should see. We'll have to see. Yeah, three, three episodes left, and then... Uh, then we'll, yeah, we'll, and we'll then know. I can... Uh, and I can get cracking on 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 my book. That that will be fun. God, I don't envy you having to write that. <laughs> yeah, what you know, it's it, it, it's actually really fun to write like Doctor Who analysis. I, I, I don't get to say for a living, but you know, as like a, a side gig. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've I've, 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 I've like done my my weekly posts on on series twelve, and they've they've been a lot of fun, like honestly, because I've lo- I've really liked most of the episodes. Um, okay, yeah, like the one on, on Spyfall Part Two was a bit of a hundred because I'm not 
enjoy that one and I didn't really want to write about it but uh, yeah got to keep the schedule but uh, yeah it's been, it's been a lot of fun and hopefully it will make like a fun read when I like managed and you know I'm going to talk about like a bunch of other stuff too like um, I definitely want to write about like the ace book uh, so that will be exciting to write about and also like the, the like uh, anthology sit down about uh, 13 meeting like different historical characters uh, oh, that was which, so good. Star Tales, yeah, I enjoyed that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't, pre- I haven't read it yet, but it's on, it's on, like it, I, I have it. It's staring at me from like my, my little book corner. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get you it. Please let me know what you think of the Amelia Earhart story because I, oh my god, it's so good. Mm. That's a Jenny Corgan one, right? I cannot remember. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yes, I'm sure it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, it's because uh, they talk openly about Yas being on her period, and it's so cool. Mm. Nice. I really love that. Yeah, it's really cool. And the doctor's like providing her with period essentials. Sorry, spoilers, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should honestly. I, I kind of wish we had that in the show. Like, I think it would be just really cool. It would be. I work for a charity that focuses a lot on girls' rights and uh, period poverty and trying to raise awareness of. And, 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 and surrounding the taboos about periods. And so I'm very open about it, but then I realise that it's not not something that I feel like the rest of the world is catching up with that. And I really love Doctor Who to talk about it. And um, but, but in the way that, like, I would love them to do how the book does, you know, where they're like, companions on the TARDIS will need, you know, things for their period. And the Doctor will be a bit alien about it, but will also have supplies from, like, past companions. Do you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. I think that would be really cute. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really nicely done in the book. Um, it is. Yeah, it's. I think um, I, when I read it, it was like I was sort of slightly shocked that they addressed it, but then thought this is this is brilliant that they've addressed it and the, and the way they've done it. But it's just it's so unexpected, I think, in Doctor Who. Um, yes, but, I think so. It's not to be honest. It's not something that people talk about a lot. Uh, you know, hmm. in in the world, I guess. In my job, we talk about it all the time. But I, I guess if I came on into the world of Doctor Who and I started talking about periods and things, people might be a bit shocked by it because I think it's still something that people don't talk about that much. But um, no, hopefully one day we'll get a nice a nice scene that will break down those those taboos. Definitely, that's great. So, um, where can we find you on Twitter, guys? I'll let you go first, Sam. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm at uh, looking for Telus, like uh, the planet in Doctor Who. It's also a Philadelphia pun, and also I write my uh, my um, writing. Uh, if you go to this Twitter account, there will be a, a link, but my writing is on uh, my blog, which is called Downtime. Uh, it does have a Twitter account, which is at Media Downtime. And, uh, yeah, if you follow my Twitter, I, like, Twitter really about, like, uh, my books and the stuff I'm in and stuff like that. And, yeah, you can just find it there. Amazing. And you can find me at Oh My Stars on Twitter or at the Time Ladies underscore. That's great. And um, anything coming up with the Time Ladies that we should know about? I think um, I read about the event that you're organising. 
yeah, so currently I'm, I'm working on a fundraiser to raise money for the Australian bushfires called Good Day of the Doctor. <laughs> mm. um, uh, Katie Manning is has volunteered herself to help run the event. She's been amazing. I'm doing it with um, the LGBT Doctor Who group Sisterhood of Khan and the Brighton Doctor Who group Diva Loka. It's, it's been really fun. Um, we're just trying to make it like a really bespoke personal event that will like raise you know a lot of money but also be different to stuff that any other kind of Doctor Who convention or event has done before so that's coming up um other than that I think we're probably going to have a little time ladies break soon so that we can because we're recording some podcasts um you know with some Doctor Who people spoilers um but I think after that we're gonna have a little break so that we can come back and do cool stuff once we've rejuvenated a little bit Fantastic. Yeah, I love the Time Leads podcast. Now. It's been a little while, hasn't it? So I look forward to... Uh, yeah, yeah. We're coming back this time, but we're having guests on, so that'll be fun. Just We're trying to just get all that done, and we're going to record a few in advance because it just takes so long for us to get them out. We're hoping if we record mm. some in advance, we can get them out on a schedule instead of like every six and a half months. <laughs> Great. I hope you're still going to play the game, the, uh, the sort of 20 oh, questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll make sure we keep it in. Yeah, I, yeah, I would enjoy that. That's cool. And uh, I look, really look forward to the second volume of Sheffield Steel. Sam, I, I love the first book. Yes. I, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, I, uh, so I've like, like the way I sort of write this is I write like a weekly blog posts on like the show and then I just like put all the still in dark and I like rework them and a lot of stuff. And um, I don't actually know when it's going to come out because I have to see with my publisher if we wait for like some 2020 Christmas special to come out to like put that one in the book or if we just like release it earlier. We're go- going to, I will like update uh, people uh, on, on that one online uh, whenever I have uh, an answer about that but I do know that uh, in November 2020 uh, my Black Archives on Arachnids in the UK is going to come out so that will be very exciting uh, I've like uh, sent um, the first draft uh, to the publisher like um, a couple of weeks ago uh, it's been a bit complicated to write because it's a very different style from the one I'm, I'm used to it's a lot like it's very, a lot denser, a lot more academic, um, but it's been really interesting. And I think, like, I, I, I did, like, a lot of research on, I was talking about, like, um, grime and blackness and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, a lot of stuff about, like, um, the way it kind of, like, kind of ties to stuff like uh, protest music with, like, you know, the title making reference to punk and the use of grime. And also, I just, like, also took the opportunity to just, like, write a, a bit of like a, a history of like giant insect giant spiders and, and cinema and who and that was really fun to write about and also um you should definitely uh, look up that fundraiser that beth is doing because beth is great um and um you know sister of khan is great all great people great calls absolutely go and support that it's worth it and buy sam's book because good writer yo <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll put links to all of these things in the show notes. Yay. Thank you very much, guys. Yay. Really appreciate you making the time. Thank you for thank having you us. Podcast. Okay. Thanks for coming oh, back. It was um, a pleasure. And thank you very much for listening at home. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>